Joel chapter 3. So if you're there, just follow along as I read. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and this is God speaking, he says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyr and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. And the water of the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged. For the Lord dwells in Zion. Give a little bit of context, right? There's so much going on here, and I think it's easy for us to miss the forest for the trees, if you will. Basically, what you have, and we read about it in chapter 2, is you have a foreign army that's entered into God's land, coming to invade God's people. And this army marches into the capital city, the city of Jerusalem. They devastate the land, the people. And what we see in chapter 3 is now this foreign army has taken God's people and made them slaves. You have human trafficking happening here. And what they've done is now, as you read in verse 3, they're taking and they're taking little children and they're selling them for beer. They're selling them for sex. They're, that's what's going on. And it's God's people that are the slaves now. And so what God is doing here, He's making some promises and He's promising judgment. 
He says, I will, verse 2, enter into judgment. And verse 7, I will return your payment on your own head. Verse 12, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So you see God making a promise that I will bring justice. I will bring judgment. And he gives the reason, and the reason is verse 13, for their evil is great. Their evil is great. So it gives us the why. Why is God bringing judgment? God's bringing judgment because of the sin of people. And I think there's a truth for us this morning as we conclude this this study in the book of Joel and as we look at briefly at chapter 3. And I think I think the truth that I want us to get from this, that the truth that, that's there for us is, is what God says to those who resist and who refuse to repent and believe the gospel. And the promise that God makes for those who refuse Him, that refuse to surrender their hearts to Jesus, is this, judgment's coming. Judgment is coming for those who refuse Christ and resist repenting and believing Jesus as the Savior of their souls. That's His promise. I'm going to enter into judgment. And so this morning, I just want to spend a few moments on verse 14, that phrase, the day of the Lord. Help explain a little bit of what that means. And then I just want to share with us some implications that I think are there for us as God's people today. God, thank you for your presence with us. God, this morning, I've labored over this this week because it is very sobering and convicting truth. And if I could, I would love to not talk about it. But yet it is here and it is true and it is real and we must not avoid it. So I pray that through your Holy Spirit, your spirit would come and convict and challenge us this morning as your people. Bring us to a place of repentance and a place of challenge and urgency when it comes to sharing the news of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. This past Wednesday, I was at, had a meeting with a couple friends, and one of the dads, as we were talking, shared with me about his eight-year-old son, and he was telling me about how this eight-year-old son has been telling a neighborhood friend about Jesus, and he just keeps telling this, this buddy about Jesus, so much so that the parents of the neighborhood boy came to my friend's son, an eight-year-old, and said, you need to stop talking to my son about Jesus. So a parent comes to this eight-year-old little boy, eight-year-old little boy, and says, You need to stop talking about Jesus to my kid. Now you can imagine the emotions for that eight-year-old little boy who's my friend. His dad is my friend. He's been told by an adult, stop talking about Jesus to my kid. When I heard that, I'm overwhelmed with emotion because I hurt. For my eight-year-old little buddy. But as his dad was telling me about his son's response, he said, yeah, he, he was crying, he was in tears, but here's what's crazy, is that he wasn't crying because a parent told him to stop talking about Jesus. He was crying because he could no longer tell his friend about Jesus. He was crying for his friend because his friend hadn't surrendered to Jesus yet. So this little eight-year-old boy is crying because He's, 
He's burdened for his friend to give his life to Jesus. And I got thinking about that, and I, I thought, man, that saddens me on so many different levels. One is I hurt for my eight-year-old little friend, right? But then as I thought about it, I thought, have I talked to someone so much about Jesus that they've ever told me to stop? Probably not. Have I ever been talking to a friend or someone that were just, you need to just stop, man. You just, that's what saddened me. And then it also saddened me because if that boy and those parents resist Jesus and refuse to repent and believe the gospel, the scriptures tell us that judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. And one of the things that I think the book of Joel should do for us, and we talked about it weeks ago when we started this series, is that it should awaken us as God's people, not only from the complacency of our own sin, but Joel teaches us that it should awaken us to an urgency in telling people that if they continue to resist Jesus and refuse to repent and surrender to Jesus, judgment is coming. And so it should awaken us, church, to live out this mission that Jesus has called us to live. Because we can't avoid it. And we'll see in passages to come that Jesus warns us that judgment is coming. But if you look at verse 14 of Joel chapter 3, it says, For the day of the Lord. And five times in this little book of Joel, you find that phrase, the day of the Lord. You see it in chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. Verse 11 of chapter 2. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Verse 30 of chapter 2. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Verse 31. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Then here you see it again five times, the fifth time right here in chapter 3, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Well, let me help explain this a little bit and and hopefully give some meaning to it. So when you read it in scripture, you understand what you're reading. You understand what it means. Now, the day of the Lord was referenced not just by the prophet Joel, but you read about it in prophets like Isaiah, um, in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Obadiah, others. Jesus talks about a day of the Lord, although he doesn't use the specific phrase day of the Lord. If you read about it in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he's referencing this event of judgment. The Apostle Paul writes about it to the churches in Corinth and Thessalonica. Peter writes about it in his second letter in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3. The book of Revelation, the vision that, God, that John sees, the disciple of Jesus, is really a vision. Most of it is about this day of the Lord that's to come. So what is it? What's it mean? It's a great question. <laughs> let, me try to, let me try to summarize it as best I can and from, from studying it and learning about it. I believe the day of the Lord, when we understand it from Scripture, it's this. It's an event or a time of God's judgment for sin. It's a time of God's judgment that He sends upon people for their sin against Him. 
And he does it to defend his holiness, to protect his reputation as holy, but also to defend his people. And we see that here in the book of Joel. So it's a time when God sends judgment upon people for their sin against him, and he does it to defend, to protect his reputation as holy, and to defend his people. Now, for those people who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus, the day of the Lord, if you look at verse 16, is a day of refuge. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. For those people who have surrendered their hearts to Jesus, believing the gospel for the salvation of their souls, the day of the Lord is really this time where God protects them, God defends them, God is a refuge for them. But for the resistant... For those who refuse to repent and turn to Jesus, it's a time of devastating judgment from God for their sin against him. Because the repentant are believing Jesus took upon himself on the cross the judgment that they deserve for their sins. But the resistant are refusing to believe that. They're refusing to put their belief and trust in Jesus as a substitute that they deserve for their sins against God. So you have this this day of judgment that God sends upon people for their sin, but it also refers to a current event, an event that's going to take place in this time period, but it's also pointing to a future judgment. And you see that here in the book of Joel, chapter 3, the day of the Lord is referenced. So that means that at some point in this current time period in which Joel is being communicated, God is going to bring an event of judgment upon those nations that um, persecuted his people. But it also points, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord points to a future day of the Lord, a day coming when God will make every wrong right, right? He will bring justice. He will bring judgment for the sins of people against him. And so the truth that I want us to grab a hold of this morning is this, is that God says to those who refuse to repent and surrender their lives to Jesus, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And I think we need to get a hold of that, church. I need to get a hold of that. It's uncomfortable to talk about. But it's here. Jesus warns us that judgment is coming. Go to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and another man named Lazarus. And the point of the story is to help us grab a hold of the fact that those who refuse to repent and surrender their lives to Jesus, judgment's coming. So Jesus warns of judgment. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is Luke chapter 16, now verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. We'll call that heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, Jesus is the one telling the story here. 
But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus is telling this story to help the people understand that, listen, those who refuse to repent, who who refuse to acknowledge that they're sinners, deserving of God's judgment, but yet surrendering their life to Jesus, believing that through his death and resurrection, Jesus took their place, their substitute on the cross, so now that through Christ, they have their sins forgiven and they become righteous in Christ and right with God forever. Those who refuse to trust Jesus, surrender their lives to Jesus, refuse to repent and believe that gospel, Jesus is saying, judgment is coming. Paul warns of this judgment. Go with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now let me say this as you're turning there. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with hell. If I'm honest, I struggle with the harshness of hell. I'm just being honest and open and real. I do. But Jesus says it's real. The scriptures teach us that there is a real hell. And so I trust Jesus. And I believe Jesus. I believe there's a literal hell where there's fire and torment for those who resist and reject Jesus and who refuse to repent. And I always come back to this when I start struggling with this, that the reason why I think I struggle with hell so much is because I don't struggle with my sin enough. I don't see my sin as horrible and heinous in front of a holy God. I think most of us would agree that the punishment should fit the crime. I think most of us would would, would want that if it were our family members that were hurt. We would want the punishment to fit the crime. So Jesus says, if the punishment is hell, then that should tell you how serious the crime of sin is against him. And he says, listen, here's the reality. For those who refuse to repent and turn to Jesus, judgment is coming. And Paul warns us of this. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of righteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Now, here's what we tend to do. Right, We tend to read that and go, they. But now I want you to see this as me, as yourself. There are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. 
chapter 2, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, of every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, God's grace, is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the mercy and grace of God that God would provide Christ as a way for us to be set free from judgment and be brought into full relationship with him. That's purely an act of God's grace and mercy because we do not deserve it. And that's what he's saying. It's God's grace, his kindness, that he would provide a way for you out of this judgment. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul warns us of judgment. Another passage, go to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, because I want you to see the language here that's used in Revelation 14 and how similar it is to what we just read in the book of Joel, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 14, verses 14 through 21. Revelation 14, verses 14 through 21. This is somber. I get it. This is sobering. But it's true. Revelation 14, 14 says, Then I looked. John, who's the disciple of Jesus, is the one who's looking here. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, king, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Joel chapter 3 talks about this sickle, right, in his hand. And, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. In Joel 3, you don't need to turn there. Verse 13, it says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Verse 16 of Revelation 14, so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. The angel has authority over the fire and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, the king, that's Jesus, put in your sickle and gather the, the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Joel, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go and tread for the winepress is full. Revelation warns us that judgment is coming. I want to read Romans chapter 9, and I just want you to hear what Paul says. Verse 1. Romans 9, verse 1, and verse 2, and verse 3. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. This is Paul saying that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what he's saying? Paul's saying, I, if, if, if I could go to hell so that other people wouldn't have to, I'd do it. If it meant me going to hell so that hundreds of other people wouldn't have to, I'd do it. And I think, is how I feel? <laughs> to all my neighbors? To 
for friends. And Paul says, listen, for those who refuse to repent and surrender to Jesus, judgment's coming. Joel teaches that. Jesus teaches us this. Paul, Peter, John, they all teach that judgment is coming for evil is great because of our sin. And as I think about that, I think, church, this should awaken me. This should awaken us out of a complacency and move us into mission, into embracing the gospel and then to an urgency in calling others to repent and turn to Jesus. Judgment is coming, but thank God that's not the end of the story. Right? Judgment is coming, but there's grace. There's mercy. There's good news. Joel chapter 2. We read it last week, verse 32. He writes, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's grace. That's mercy. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that those who call upon the name of the Lord don't need to experience the wrath of God for their judgment of their sins. They look to Christ on the cross as the substitute in their place for that. And now they repent and turn to Jesus. They don't experience that judgment. God provides for them a refuge. In chapter 3, verse 16, that's what he says. In the midst of the day of the Lord, the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. And then in Romans chapter 10, he says the same thing. It sounds like the book of Joel, if you will. Romans chapter 10, this is Paul writing. I I just imagine, again, like I said last week, he's got the book of Joel and and he's reading it for his devotions. He's like, man, that'll preach. And, And he's just like writing it out. And he writes this in Romans 10. He says, for there's no distinction, verse 10, verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Joel 2, 32. But then Paul doesn't stop there. So we have to ask the question, so what now? If, if, if judgment is coming for those who refuse to repent and t- turn to Jesus and refuse to believe the gospel, if judgment's coming, but we have the good news, right? We have Jesus, then, then what now? And Paul tells us what now. Verse 14 of Romans 10, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who bring the good news. And as I'm reading this this week, I'm going, man, what would it look like if every living community, actually, if every disciple of Jesus, we actually believed that, that judgment is coming for those who refuse to repent? What would it look like if we actually believe that and actually believe that we have the good news that will rescue them, that will save them? Would we live any differently? Would I live any differently? And I just got reminded, I'm like, church, this is why we're here. This is why Living Church exists, to communicate this message to a world that is in need of Jesus, and they don't even know they're in need. They don't know that judgment is coming if they continue to refuse and repent. That's why we must tell them. And there's ways to tell them, right, that's loving and gracious. But let me just tell you, as I was up late Wednesday night, as I was reading this and thinking this through, and I was praying, it was late, I'm in, everybody's in bed, 
And I'm reading this and I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my neighbors. I'm just gripped by the truth of this. And I had my phone and I pulled out my little notes app on my phone. Because as I'm praying, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes while I'm praying, I'm like, it's the Spirit of God just bringing things to mind like crazy. And I'm like, slow down. I can't capture all this. So it's like, I'm just like, it's just all these different things. In the sense of if, if I really believe this, if I really believe that judgment is coming and yet I have the good news that Jesus says, if I really believe that, then what are the implications of that? And so I started just writing it all down on my phone and I want to share those with you. Because judgment is coming and I have the good news that Jesus saves, I have to arrange my life around the mission of telling people they need Jesus. It's not an option. I have to. If, If this is real and true, then there's something I can learn from those street preachers. Because they believe something many of us don't. Judgment's coming. I just can't live a comfortable Christian life anymore. I mean, people are going to go to hell, and Jesus has me where I live, where I work and play, in order to tell them how to be rescued from it. That's why I got to be with the church. I got to be equipped in learning how to live this mission of Jesus out. To tell them that judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves. That's the message. Wash, rinse, repeat, right? Tom Tack and I were talking about it last Sunday. It's like the Genesis to Revelation. It's like, this is it. Judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves. That's the message of Joel. It's the message of Jesus. It's the message of the church. And so if that's true, I, I got to be with the church. I got to learn how to live this out. And if this is true, then it means everyone needs to be committed to a community of disciples living on mission. We call them house churches. We call them living communities so that you can live this mission out together. And if this, this is true, then i got to be on my knees more, begging God to move in the hearts of my friends and my neighbors so they'll, they'll turn to Jesus. And if this is true, then i got to be a friend of sinners like Jesus was. The whole burger night with, that we're doing right once a month that Kyle started, you know why we do that? One of the reasons why, I do that, why we do that is not just to build sharing life amongst us, but to equip you to say, hey, take this and do it with your neighbors and friends and coworkers so you can build a relationship with them. I got to be a friend of sinners like Jesus was. That's why I can't give up on my living community with no one comes or give up on my neighbors or if none of my neighbors show up. I got to give everything I have to helping people see Jesus. And if I really believe that judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves, then I got to keep inviting, I got to keep loving, I got to keep talking about Jesus, even when they tell me to stop. That's why you got to keep having the Friday fires, the pumpkin chucking events in your neighborhood. I'll explain what that is if you want to know later afterward. The Christmas cookie exchanges, the prayer walks, the feeding the homeless. You got to walk across the street, talk to your neighbor, walk next to the cubicle next to you. That's why you got to go visit your Muslim neighbor's mosque. I did that two, two years ago. We live next door to our neighbors are Muslim. And he said, hey, Mark, we're doing this community event at the mosque where I attend. And I'd love for you to come. I went. I went. And I broke bread with a bunch of people. I had no idea who they were. 
but I know that spoke volumes to my neighbor. That's why I got to keep doing that stuff. That's why you got to know your Bible so you can know what to tell people about this judgment that's coming and that Je- this Jesus that saves. And that's why in January, we're going to do a series on principles and tools on how to share Jesus that's coming in January. Because we believe this. That's why we got to care less. I got to care less about expressing or defending my Christian liberty and my preferences and more about expressing and defending the gospel of Christ to those who are going to hell. I'm just telling you, and this is stuff that I'm like, dude, the Spirit of God is like, I'm like blowing up my own phone because this is stuff He's telling me. And if this is true, I can question all I want about how can a loving God allow people to go to hell, but it doesn't change the fact that judgment is still coming and people are still going to hell if they don't know Jesus. It means I've got to be having family worship in my home with my kids and calling my kids to repent. It means at Thanksgiving, I've got to keep loving and talking to this niece who's rejecting Jesus and keep loving on her and keep helping her see that Jesus cares for her. Because judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves. That's why I can't spend my time thinking about what I'm getting or not getting out of my house, church, or living community. Listen, people are dying and going to hell. Let, let this one speak. Let it, you're not going to like me after I say this. It's why we should do everything we can to be with the church when the church gathers. You know why? So that you can celebrate the fact that Jesus has saved you from the judgment to come. And that you can do that with a bunch of other people that have experienced that same salvation. That's why every time, I think that's why they got together every day in the first century. They couldn't, man, we've got to celebrate this Jesus that's rescued us. And the reality is, with, if it weren't for Jesus, none of you would know one another. <laughs> You'd have no relationship with anybody in this room if it weren't for Jesus. Listen, if I really believe this, if this is true that judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves, we can't just plant 26 living communities. We've got to plant 26,000. That's why we're needed, church. And if this is true, I can't worry anymore I'm just going to be real vulnerable here. I can't worry anymore about what people think about me. I'm such a people approval person. Big time. And God is convicting me of that. I can't worry anymore about what you think of me. Sorry. I can't. I do. But I can't worry about that anymore. About what you think of my preaching, my leading, living church. If you're going to tell me you're on mission but, and, and say you want to be on mission, but then when we actually expect it, you bolt. I can't worry about that. People need Jesus. i got more serious things to think about. And so do you. And so do we. I just hope you hear my heart this morning. i got to get past my fears of what my neighbors might think if I tell them about Jesus. 
And start thinking more about what they'll think of me when they're in hell and realize I could have told them judgment was coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves and I didn't. So I'm texting all this stuff, right? I'm writing all this on my note app. And while I'm praying, I'm going to ask the band, you guys can come up if you would. Go ahead and do that now. So I'm, I'm, I'm texting all of this or just making notes. And while I'm praying, I'm praying for people that I know that need Jesus. And one is my Muslim neighbor. His name is Basil. And we've had them in our home for dinner. And they've had us in their home. And um, in the winter, I'll go shovel their driveway, and then he'll come over and shovel mine. I don't know why we don't just shovel our own, but that's just the way it's been the past couple winters. And while I'm praying... It's as if the Spirit of God said to me specifically, the next time you see him, you tell him this. And let me tell you what the Spirit of God told me to tell my friend, my neighbor. Vassal, can I share something with you? So the other night, I was up late and I was praying for you, praying for your family, the baby that's on the way. And my God, Jesus, while I was praying, I know it might freak you out, but my God, Jesus, told me to tell you something. And this is what he told me to tell you. That he loves you more than you will ever know. And that he wants to know you personally more than you could ever imagine. My God told me to tell you that. And I just want you to know as your neighbor and friend that if you ever want to talk more about what that might look like, I'm right next door. And I love you and I will continue to pray for you because you're my friend. That's what God told me to tell him. And actually when I was praying that and thinking that, it was, it was specific, specifically the next day. It was as if God was saying, so when you see him tomorrow, the next day. So I'm like always looking out the next day. He never, I never saw him. And I was kind of disappointed, but then the spirit of God's going, you loser, Jones, come on. Just because he didn't show up the next day doesn't mean you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to tell him that. It's like whenever you see him, tell him that. Judgment's coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves. Amen. And we have this message. And here's what I want us to do, church. We need Caleb's little eight-year-old boy I was talking about. We need Caleb's burden. I need Caleb's burden. I need Paul's burden. We need this church. And I believe the response this morning for us is we need to repent. The book of Joel is calling God's people to repent of our own complacency toward our own sin. We need to repent And then we need to ask God to give us an urgency to share the good news of Jesus with people. For judgment is coming, but hallelujah, Jesus saves. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the band to just play two songs. But I want, you can sing along if you want, but here's what I want you to do. I want us to, to repent this morning as a church. If God's Spirit is calling you to get on your knees, get on your knees. If God's calling you to go to someone this morning, you go to them and you grab hands and you need to repent and you need to come 
before one another, repent of your sins, and, and you need to maybe get a, a group of you together and start praying for people that you know that need Jesus. Maybe you just want to take these scriptures and over the next couple songs, you just want to read through them. But while they're saying, while they're singing these next two songs, I just want to call us as a church to repent first and then beg God to give us an urgency to share the good news for this is why we're here. This is why your living community exists. This is why we need more. This is why you go to work. This is why you reach across the street to your neighbor. This is why. God, help us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. God, help me. Give me a burden that pushes me, that propels me to share the glorious good news of yourself with people that need you. God, I pray that in these next, two mo- next few moments that we as a church would go to one another and we'd get each other together, we'd repent and we'd pray for people that need you. God, would you do that, please, through your spirit? Call us out on the waters to take those steps of faith. Believing you will keep us above the water and give us the strength we need to communicate the good news and you'll give us the boldness to share. Through the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.